for outsiders, uh, Mormonism um, is lumped in with the Christian faith tradition. The mainline church has uh, Jesus Christ in his name, as you talked about earlier, of the you know, while, while there's the Book of Mormon, there's the Judeo-Christian scriptures that are also a source of authority within the Mormon church. So, you know, uh, as you look at it, is, is Mormonism a, a form of Christianity? This is the CBF Podcast Conversations. Each week, we are bringing you stories from across the world of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and creativity from practitioners, ministers, thinkers, authors, and more. I'm Andy Hale, your podcast host. We're excited about another year of delivering interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. This platform is not designed for you to listen on an island unto yourself. Share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Tucker, Georgia. Warsaw, Poland, San Francisco, California, and Sydney, Australia. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We also want to give a special shout-out to some of our podcast listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Cindy Foldendorf, Bill Johnson, Ralph Stocks, and that anonymous person that keeps giving a gift in honor of CBF Trump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our three annual sponsors, the Center for Congregational Health, McAfee's School of Theology, Doctorate and Ministry Program, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. And now, on to our conversation. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health, whose mission is to help faith communities and their leaders thrive. Healthy congregations can transform their communities to be more compassionate, faithful, and just. Utilizing a network of highly skilled coaches, consultants, and intentional interim ministers, the Center supports congregations and ministry leaders to address the challenges they face. Visit their website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about how the Center can be your trusted partner in ministry. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Michael Wilder. He's a member of the Adams Road Ministry. He's the owner and operator of the historic Edgewater Hotel in Winter Garden, Florida. He's also the author of a new book, Passport to Heaven. Micah, Micah thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having me here, Andy. So uh, I guess, first off, how are things in Florida? Uh, on the day that we're recording this, the, the Delta variant is ravaging your state, uh, with a huge uptick in, in COVID cases. How are things going? Yeah, so it's been interesting. We were actually on the road for the last seven weeks, um, touring across the U.S., sharing the gospel. And so we've been home for about a week now and kind of followed the news while we were out traveling and seeing, you know, what was happening uh, with the the spike in COVID cases here and everything. So and then obviously being in the hospitality industry and running a hotel uh, creates other kind of unique uh, circumstances and challenges. But uh, but things are going really well. And, um, you know, it's nice to be home with my family and spend time with my wife before we head out again on the road just a week from today. So it's kind of a whirlwind of a little break before we go back out uh, and keep sharing the gospel for the next nine weeks. 
So tell us a little about the the hotel. I mean, as I said in the beginning of the interview, you're you own the hotel, you operate it. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your work. Yeah, so the historic Edgewater Hotel was built in the 1920s, and uh, it has been fully restored as an operational um, hotel slash bed and breakfast. And so this is actually where uh, our ministry is based, and uh, several members of our ministry actually live here full time. And uh, and so we operate this kind of as a what we call a tent making ministry, as Paul the Apostle. Uh, was a tent maker in order to provide his personal finances um, and not put that burden on the church. That's kind of the heart that we feel like God has given us. And so Paul said, what then is my reward that in preaching the gospel, I can present it free of charge so as to not make full use of my right. And so the hotel for us not only gives us a place to live, it provides for our you know personal sustenance so that when we go out on the road, and we do things as a ministry, we don't have to put the burden of our personal finances on the church. And so that's just been our heart uh, from the beginning uh, for 15 years now. So what that does is it gives us the opportunity to, for example, our music that we write, we have um, biblical music. Uh, that's one of the center um, parts of our ministry is we then offer that music free of charge all over the world. Um, offer free gospel materials. And then when we present and share a ministry, we offer that free of charge as well, because we don't want anything to be a stumbling block to people being able to hear the gospel of Christ. Tell us a little bit more about Adams Road Ministries. What do do y'all do? So Adams Road is a, it's a music and testimony ministry. So essentially what we do is we travel uh, all over North America, primarily to churches and, uh, and we equip and encourage the body of Christ to go out and to fulfill the Great Commission, to take up our cross and to be true disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we do that kind of twofold. Number one, through our personal testimonies, each member of Adams Road has come out of the bondage of, of legalism and in particular the Mormon church. And we have all come to saving faith in Christ through the reading of the word of God. And so we emphasize the power of God's word, the sufficiency of God's word, and the sufficiency of Christ alone for our salvation. In addition to that, as I mentioned before, we write music. And so we've actually written 10 full-length studio albums uh, full of the word of God. And so we use that as well as an encouragement to the body of Christ. And so we've been doing this for 15 years uh, as I mentioned, we're in between two, uh, you know, national tours where we go around and and uh, and share our ministry. And then when we're home in Florida during the off season, we continue ministry in other facets as well. It's it's fascinating. All you know, all four members are are form, former Mormons. You know, it's like um, you know, we all is there a like a former Mormon AA type group where everybody just kind of meets up in one place and that's how you all met each other. I mean, how did you how did y'all converge? It's so rare to have for people who are from a former, you know, religion to kind of join together. It is. It was definitely God orchestrated. Um, so three of the four of us are founding members of the group, and we've been there for 15 years. One of them is uh, actually one of my older brothers, Matt. Uh, so when I came to Saving Faith in Jesus, I was the first to share the gospel with him. And by God's grace, uh, he too came to um, Saving Faith in Christ and left the Mormon church. Uh, the other founding member, Joseph, was actually a Mormon missionary with me uh, in Orlando, Florida. And so that's how we knew each other. We became close friends. And as I was reading the Word of God and beginning to undergo this transformation through the power of the gospel message, I started to share the gospel with him. And over time, he too came to salvation. So 
Uh, that's how we connected. Now, the fourth member of our group is uh, Lila LeBaron, uh, and she is from Chihuahua, Mexico, the state of Chihuahua. And she actually comes from a fundamentalist uh, polygamist community uh, in northern Mexico called the LeBaron community. And so her father was a polygamist, and uh, she grew up in that um, you know, religion and ultimately came to faith in Jesus through the reading of the Word of God and uh, through some different circumstances God led her to us. And she now is the lead singer of the group. So it's pretty amazing how God has connected us all. So you have a new book out, Passport to Heaven. This is a look into your life as a more missionary and a, a drastic shift to follow Jesus. You know, it's a fascinating read. And I've known a lot of Mormons throughout my life, uh, and some of the best, most gracious people I've ever met before in my life. Um, you know, and oftentimes when people think of Mormonism, they think of kind of the extremes or the fundament fundamentals of the faith in a sense of, as you talked about, you know, uh, you know, these communities, of people kind of set apart, uh, you know, hear about polygamy and things like that. Um, but your story is not that, you know, so walk us through kind of, you know, we ultimately want people to read the book, but walk us through kind of the beginning stages of what would eventually lead you to leaving the Mormon church, you know, uh, reading scripture, what, what was it that awoken within you to recognize that while you're coming from these uh, very gracious faith community, um, this was something different you were sensing in your life? Yeah. Yeah. And just to give a, little, give a little bit of foundation to that, like you mentioned, so I came from the the mainstream Mormon church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, my parents had actually converted to the Mormon church before any of us children were born. And so we were raised in a very devout and faithful Mormon home. And uh, my parents were very loving and they were uh, incredible people, uh, you know, by worldly standards. And they they raised us up to uh, faithfully live out the tenets of our faith. And, and when I was going through my high school years um, in the state of Utah, my mother was a BYU professor. And, uh, and, and I really just had this passion to, to want to know God and to be known by God. But of course, I saw God through the lens of my religion. And, you know, Mormonism is, is I guess, simply defined as a works-based uh, righteousness where an individual must do and perform certain works and ordinances in order to attain the highest level of heaven. And so I, I wanted to be loved by God and I wanted God's forgiveness and I wanted his favor. And I knew that the only way to have that was to be as faithful and, and zealous of a Mormon as I could possibly be. And so I really dove into uh, obediently following the, the principles of Mormonism, you know, as good, if not better than anybody that I knew. And so that took me to a two-year mission trip. And so to get to your question, as I was going through this two-year mission trip in Orlando, Florida, where I was going about trying to convert people to Mormonism, I encountered a Baptist minister. And this Baptist minister very lovingly um, shared the gospel with me and then challenged me to read the Bible through the eyes of a child. And, and what that meant was he was asking me to approach God's word without presupposition and to remove these religious lenses of Mormonism and to just allow God's word to speak for itself. Now, that was the thing that really was the catalyst that set my life in motion to, to come to know the grace of God. And it was really exclusively through the power of his word. And so as a Mormon missionary, I accepted this challenge to start reading the Bible and did so uh, daily for nearly my entire two-year Mormon mission. 
And I read the New Testament 12 times uh, throughout my mission trip. And um, it was through the power of the word of God that God started to open my eyes to the simple and beautiful and life-changing message of the gospel. But of course, this gospel message I, I began to see clearly was very contradictory to the fundamental um, you know, doctrines of Mormonism. And I, and I had to wrestle with that throughout the process of my mission. And so those seeds were planted not only by that Baptist minister, but by other uh, loving vessels that God put into my life that um, you know all pointed me to the word of God and God through his word uh, eventually opened my eyes to the truth. You know, in reading through your story, I, I try to place myself in your shoes and imagine what it would be like to leave behind the religion of my upbringing the proximity of that commitment to my family and friends, um, you know, and in a sense, the culture by which that you were accustomed to. So take us a little deeper into what that experience was like for you and, and how your family responded to you. Yeah, so Mormonism, and this is something that a lot of people I think don't understand, is it's a culture in which every facet of your life is ingrained. And so um, when people come to a saving faith in Christ and and are removed from the religious bondage of Mormonism, it, it, it has massive cultural implications for them. It has massive relational implications. Um, and so for me, being a zealous Mormon missionary whose mother was a BYU professor and whose family was very um, entrenched into the Mormon faith, uh, my change of faith and my awakening to the gospel of Christ was not without repercussions. And, th and that was one of the challenges that I had to face as a Mormon missionary, especially when I came to that moment, I, I would say a full awakening when I was born again as a Mormon missionary, was that nothing in my life was ever going to be the same. And I was never going to have the things that I had always known and loved. And that was a very difficult reality for me to face was what it was going to mean for me to take up my cross and to follow Jesus. Um, and so the beauty of the gospel that I learned was that what I had found in Christ, it, it outweighed anything that I would ever lose. And, and the, the value of knowing Jesus and being secure in him through the power of his blood and knowing that I had been redeemed through the finished work of Christ, that took greater precedence in my life than anything else. And like that treasure, that pearl of great price in the field that, you know, we're willing to sell everything that we have to buy. That was what I had found in the gospel message. And I knew that regardless of how my family and friends and culture and community reacted and responded, and regardless of what I was going to lose as as you know, a repercussion of following Jesus, that having Jesus was the sufficiency of my every need. And, and, um, and I'm glad that I'm glad that God brought me through that process because I think I was in this unique situation of having been born again as a Mormon missionary. And it's almost like I had no choice but to live out my faith. I mean, I either had to blatantly deny it, um, or I, I simply had to trust God. And so it was kind of like God just gently shoved me off a cliff and, and, and said, trust me. And, and so that was the situation that I was in. And um, it, it's interesting because people react differently um, to 
to people leaving the Mormon faith, uh, you know, some people had kind of a, a vehement uh, rejection of me and of my newfound faith. There were people that were curious, some people that were more understanding, some people that um, didn't agree with me, but were willing to hear me out. And I think that that's kind of where my family was at the time, uh, because when I basically had to come forward to my family um, about the change that had taken place in my life and the gospel that had uh, brought me from death to life, um, I, I told them that I had found that Jesus alone was was all sufficient and that the works of Mormonism and the works of the law could not justify us, but only faith in Christ alone and that Jesus was uh, the way, the truth, and the life. And by trusting in his finished and completed work on the cross, then we could be given the guarantee of our right standing with God. And that wasn't something that that could be earned or established through righteousness. It was It was receiving righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And so my parents, um, I think it was hard for them. And as I've grown in the knowledge and grace of Christ over the years and and reflected on this experience, um, I, I try to give my parents more credit because uh, it would have been a, a tremendously difficult experience for them to see their faithful, zealous, kind of prized Mormon son abandon the faith in which they had labored so diligently to raise me my entire life. And um, and so for me to come to them and say, I love you, but the the gospel message and the church to which you have devoted your life is not the true gospel and it's not the true church of Jesus as, as you believe it to be. Um, I think that would have been an incredibly difficult pill for them to swallow um, and, and, and in their own pride would have been a challenge to have to face that even from their own 21-year-old son. And so I give them the credit that they they never they never fully rejected me. I think more than anything, they were curious as to why I was willing to forsake the the faith that I knew and loved, and that I had lived out, um, you know, so zealously my entire life. Looking to learn about pastoral care in order to enhance your skills as a minister, lay leader, deacon, or member of a community? BSK's Pastoral Care Certificate allows students to earn credentials in pastoral care through a short three-course certificate. Students working towards a certificate in pastoral care will integrate knowledge and experience from both courses and experience in order to develop deeper skills in caring for persons who are in crisis and are suffering. The certificate is a great strategy to improve one's care and counseling as a congregational pastor and other congregational leaders. It will prepare persons to serve in chaplaincy settings, whether paid or volunteer, where a degree and professional certificate as a chaplain is not required, such as law enforcement, fire departments, some prisons, and extended care facilities. It requires nine hours graduate credit that may be rolled into a graduate degree program. BSK certificates may be continuing education for those already earned a graduate degree or a starting place for those considering an MDiv. Learn more at bsk.edu backslash options. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. 
For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. You know, especially in the, the free church tradition, uh, leaving church can be difficult, but then there are, are thousands of other options to choose from. You know, we, we talked about, um, you know, the, the culture, the way of life that is Mormonism that's so difficult uh, to leave, especially in places like Salt Lake City and Kansas City, Missouri. Take, take us a little deeper into why that's so difficult to leave. Well, I think because the, the the church is tied to every other aspect of your life. It's tied to your fam- familial relationships, your friends, your community, uh, your culture, your reputation. Um, you know, even for me, I, I, being a student at Brigham Young University previous to my mission, so I didn't really know or have an identity outside of Mormonism. And so it really permeates every aspect of your life. And I think that when you face the reality of losing all of those things in the flesh, uh, it, it can be overwhelming. And so when, when people, even if they do come to an understanding of what the true gospel is, when they're faced with the implications of what that will mean to follow Christ, uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's too much for people. And, uh, and, and like the parable of the seeds, you know, that, that fall on different sorts of ground, that, that sometimes that seed gets choked when, when they face that persecution or that loss. And so I think that, um, you know, we have to be, when we're approaching people in these types of, of religious cultures like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness or, or any others, we, we need to be compassionate uh, and understanding as Christians when we're witnessing and sharing the gospel, recognizing uh, that it's not an easy experience, but it certainly is is worth it. For outsiders, uh, Mormonism um, is lumped in with the Christian faith tradition. The mainline church has uh, Jesus Christ in his name, as you talked about earlier, of the, you know, while, while there's the Book of Mormon, there's the Judeo-Christian scriptures that are also a source of authority within the Mormon church. So, you know, as you look at it, is, is Mormonism a, a form of Christianity? Um, no, it's not a form of true Christianity. Uh, it claims to be, um, but when we test the fruit of Mormonism and we test its doctrines and its leaders against the Word of God, uh, then it does not uh, pass the test. You know, the Apostle John in 1 John 4 said, beloved, you know, many false prophets have gone out into the world, so we're supposed to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so we have to test all things like the Bereans did when Paul brought the message of Jesus as the Messiah. They went back to the Old Testament and tested his message against recorded scripture. And I think that that is uh, such a crucial part of the Christian life and such a crucial part of our discernment as we uh, are, are sanctified in the Christian life is is being aware that there are false gospels and false Christs and and false teachers and and people that are coming in to pervert and distort the gospel. And so I think that Mormonism fits in the category of of people who are sincerely zealous for God, but ignorant as to the righteousness of God revealed in Christ, like Paul says in Romans 10, 1 through 4. And so I think that categorically, I I couldn't state that that as an institution, they are part of the body of Christ because they are not teaching the, the gospel that was proclaimed once and for all to the saints. 
And that's not to say that there can't be individuals within the, within the organization that God is not working with and, and, and opening their eyes and revealing truth to them. But ultimately, I believe that coming to a truthfulness of the gospel and a recognition of the sufficiency of Christ, it is going to lead them outside of a false organization or institution. And so that's the responsibility that we have as Christians is to be aware. You know, Mormons are incredibly good people by worldly standards. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, the Mormons that you've known in your life, they're, they're wonderful people who are very uh, morally and, fam- and, and family-centered and uh, who seem to live good lives and, and be dedicated to their faith and claim a faith in Jesus. But, um, but those things have to be tested, and salvation is not predicated upon us being good people. It's, it's predicated upon our faith in the finished work of Christ. And so we need to see the Mormon people with the lens of love and a recognition that they, they need the gospel of Christ. One of the more remarkable facets of Mormonism is the commitment of a two-year mission, which is not something that everybody does that's part of the Mormon church. But you know, what was it about your upbringing uh, in this faith and the principles that, that taught you that, that motivates so many young Mormons to give two years of their life to the mission field? So I think it, it's, it's two different things. Number one, there is a sincere and a zealous um, desire to go out and to share faith that an individual believes is true and will lead others to salvation. I would think I fell into that category. But I think the other one is compulsion. Um, there is a huge cultural pressure uh, an expectation placed upon young men that once they graduate from high school, they are expected to go and serve this two-year mission trip. And in a lot of ways, it's it's somewhat of a rite of passage for them. Um, and so whether people even have a true grasp of their own faith or understand it, and whether or not they're even wrestling with you know the doctrines of Mormonism themselves, a lot of young men still go on this mission trip because their family and their friends and their culture expects it, and the church expects it. And if you don't, uh, in, in, in certain ways, you're kind of ostracized um, by your peers and, and by your leaders. And so I think those are kind of the two different things that drive people to, to go and serve a two-year Mormon mission. But I think it is something to be spoken of that most Mormons have a, a very sincere zeal for God, and it's something that we as Christians can learn from them, that they're willing at, at, at a young age to go out to, to give up two years of their lives and to share their faith with, with other people. And uh, I'm actually grateful that I went through that experience because once my zeal uh, shifted from you know man-made religion to the true gospel and the true Jesus, it's like that zeal continued. And so my two years as a Mormon missionary of approaching strangers, you know, about my faith is something that, you know, I've been able to continue doing uh, because of those kind of lessons that I learned while I was a Mormon missionary. There's been a fascinating swing within conservative evangelicalism to be more inclusive of Mormonism, mainly from a political bent. You know, honestly, this came with the rise Mm -hmm. of Mitt Romney as the Republican presidential candidate in 2008. You know, more specifically, the Billy Graham Evangelical Ministry used to have a portion of their website dedicated to anti-Mormonism stance, but it literally disappeared mm-hmm. overnight when Romney was chosen as the Republican candidate. But that, that's another conversation for another time. You know, al- although the, the harsh rhetoric has been tampered down over the last decades, there's still a, a tremendous lack of understanding of the religion. 
Um, you know, so as, as you, as you approach um, your type of ministry, you know, wh- what are, what are the approaches of interfaith dialogue that, that people need to understand uh, these basic tenets of Mormonism in order to have uh, an educated and inclusive conversation with somebody from this faith group? Yeah. So I, I think there are certain aspects to being able to effectively witness to Mormons that are, that are important for a, a Christian to have. Number one is a, a basic understanding of what they believe. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of core tenets of what makes Mormonism unique and what makes it unorthodox in their uh, approach to the nature of God, the nature of Christ, the method of salvation, and the idea of continuing uh, modern-day revelation through prophets and apostles. I would say those are kind of the principal um, elements that, that is important for Christians to understand about Mormon doctrine. The second is that Christians themselves are adequately equipped through the Word of God to be able to defend and communicate their own faith, which is something that we see often Christians are not equipped to do. Um, because uh, I think too often people are just sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning taking uh, what their pastor has to say, but not going and even testing it and not not being in the Word of God themselves. And then I think once those two foundations are laid, the importance of approaching the Mormon people in love and gentleness and compassion and respect. And, and you know, we kind of are distorting the, the love, the definition of love within our culture today. And so when I say that we need to love Mormons, that's not just an acceptance that they're different and we just allow them to be in the darkness. It's with anybody who does not have a saving relationship with Christ. True love is opening our mouth and sharing the gospel because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And how are they to hear unless someone preaches to them? And so we have this beautiful responsibility as Christians to, to, to witness to others the great love and grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ and to proclaim to them the saving gospel uh, with the hope that it can rescue them from darkness as it rescued us. And so I think, um, one of the mistakes that we see a lot of people make is they just go to a Mormon and they just want to bludgeon them over the head with all of the uh, unique aspects of Mormonism that you know separate it from the biblical body of Christ. And a lot of times in doing so, they, they immediately cause the Mormon people to put up a wall and a barrier, and they've created a massive stumbling block for their own ability to continue sharing the gospel. So we obviously um, encourage people to, to have healthy and, and loving dialogue, respectful dialogue, uh, in particular to ask questions and to really pull out of somebody what they believe, why they believe it, um, where they get those teachings from, and then it gives us the opportunity throughout that dialogue to then communicate our own faith and why we believe what we believe and where do we pull truth from and how does that differ from what they believe. And, and uh you know, we're encouraged in Scripture to to have a ready defense for the hope that lies within us, but to do so with gentleness and respect. And so um, when we do all things in love, as Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 13, we we see people differently. You know, Mormons are not an enemy to be destroyed. They are, are, are somebody who's being held captive. They're a hostage who needs rescuing. And the only thing that can rescue them is the gospel message and um, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and for them to be reconciled to God through the work of Christ. And so our, our desire and our heart as a ministry, as individuals, is that they too will come to know uh, that Jesus is the righteousness of God and that if they put their faith in him, then they can be reconciled to God independent of any you know, religious system of laws and works, but totally dependent on Jesus alone. 
you know, the world is becoming more pluralistic and the freedom of religion for all is becoming a more realistic practice within our, our communities. Um, and just because it's in the Bill of Rights doesn't mean uh, that many, especially, um, you know, those that are zealous about their particular faith are willing to allow people to practice their faith outside of an attempt to coerce or, or thwart such practices. So as, as you think about your upbringing in Mormonism and now obviously, um, you know, your faith in, in Christ, um, what, what does interfaith dialogue specifically look like between Mormons and, and the Christian faith? I think that it's having, number one, a respect um, for what they believe and why they believe it. And number two, it's it's not making presuppositions about what they think is truth. And, and what I mean by that is that what I see a lot of people do is that they say, well, Mormon doctrine teaches this, therefore you believe this. And, and so often you'll see when witnessing to the Mormon people is that they will have a wide spectrum of belief uh, from individual to individual. And so I, I think that um, having a dialogue that encourages us to, to pull that believe that unique individual belief from each person so that we then know what they need and 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 the truth that needs to be shared with them in the particular scriptures you know the holy spirit can lead us to uh, communicate to them um, and, and i think that that's so important because if i just come to a, a mormon and say well you believe this you believe this you believe this and oftentimes they don't believe that and they've been taught different things and they have a different uh, understanding even of certain mormon doctrines than their neighbor will and and so when we make those assumptions about their faith and then we attack them on those assumptions uh, i think it removes um, the opportunity for us to really lovingly share truth and so um we listen there's a balance between you know having a healthy interface interfaith dialogue with others that can sometimes lead to us not really sharing the truth like we want to make people understand there is a distinct difference between mormon doctrine and and biblical doctrine and they do not fall within the category of orthodoxy um within their 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 doctrines and so institutionally we can identify that and then individually uh, we need to then lovingly go to the individuals and and you know share the truth with them in a way that uh, is respectful, but also understanding that the gospel is going to offend people. And so, as as gentle as we try to be in our approach, sometimes sometimes people are going to reject the gospel. That's what happened to me when I was a missionary, and I heard it for the first time in my life from a Baptist pastor. Uh, I was severely offended by it, but it was a necessary offense that ultimately. Um, you know, challenged me and led me to seek truth, which I found through the Word of God. Well, the book is Passport to Heaven, and you can purchase it wherever books are sold. If you want to stay connected with Micah, check out his work at adamsroadministries.com. Uh, Micah, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. We are humbled by your willingness to transparently share your story as an invitation to others to follow Jesus. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. 
This podcast is presented to you by McAfee School of Theology at Mercer University, who exists to train ministers who inspire the church and the world to imagine, discover, and create God's future. Located in Atlanta, Georgia, the McAfee School of Theology offers doctoral and master's degree programs, including a fully online Master of Divinity degree, the only fully online MDiv offered by a national research university. You can visit their webpage, theology.mercer.edu to learn more about their programs and scholarships. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF's podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platforms. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, the Center for Congregational Health, and McAvee School of Theology's Doctorate of Ministry program. Check out cbf.net for more information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. Oh, and I don't think we've mentioned this, that you should join the listener community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.